This is the next best thing. Don't go. All right, and we are back. I just want to say really quickly before we get into the main topic of the night that we, you know, all of our shows are available as podcasts. You can download all past episodes from the iTunes Store or Google Play or a bunch of wherever you get podcasts. Just type in the next best thing and listen. But also, the show is rebroadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 10 Eastern Standard Time. So if you're in the Midwest, 7 to 9 in the morning. But listen to those live because we're at a point right now, and I'm just going to be honest here, we're at a point right now where we're not getting the analytics necessarily for our podcast listens. And so all we know is who's listening live and I need the feedback. I need that encouragement. So be listening live, please. Okay, and so the main topic that I want to talk about tonight is I put in the tweet, if you saw the tweet, that we would be debating the First Amendment and whether or not there should be limits on our beloved freedom of speech. And that's true. We're gonna, we'll are gonna we talk about that a little bit. But really, the reason this was even brought to my attention and I wanted to talk about it was because I listened to... So if you listen to NPR, you've probably heard the show Radio Lab. Well, like all of my episodes and all of most shows on Radio Free Brooklyn, their episodes are also available as podcasts, and I will occasionally listen to them. They also had a few spinoffs. One of their spinoffs is called More Perfect. It's a show basically dealing with the law and the Supreme Court. And one thing that they did fairly recently was they actually had a public debate about the First Amendment and whether or not there should be any limits, any kind of restraints and limits to the First Amendment, really. And they asked it in a couple of ways, but the debaters, the reason it really stuck out to me wasn't the debate topic. As I was listening to it, it was more the debaters. I like to think of my, I think I am a good debater. You know, listen, I'm not one who thinks he's good at, a lot of things. I know, I know quite the contrary, actually. But if there's a very few things I am good at, you know, I'll say. What? And debating is one of them. I take a lot of, I like to debate. I like to, not necessarily for the combative part of it. In fact, that might be my least favorite aspect, but it's more to get perspective. It's more to hear different sides of an argument. You know, when I was in high school, it's funny because I actually didn't do, I was not on the debate team in high school. Some of my friends were actually, and they did very, very well. And then one of them actually now coaches all across the country. But I did take a mock trial class and there was a segment of that class where we talked, we did some Ted Turner debate, which is actually, I think it's just called, I can't even remember what it's called now, but it was just a more kind of casual format than actual what they did in debate tournaments and stuff. And one of the things I'll never forget, it was the best thing that we could have done educational wise was they gave us a topic. It was affirmative action. And we had to argue that we spent weeks preparing to argue uh, one side or the other. And we did our arguments. And then unbeknownst to us, we were told to argue the opposite side that day. And we had to come up with ways to do it. And I thought that was really interesting and really good. I think I am a good debater. I think because I, you know, I try and be very pragmatic about stuff and also because I'm, I don't know, perceptive. I don't know. I don't really know why I'm a good debater. I just think that I am. Okay, so give me that. Just give me that. I need something. And when I was listening to this debate, 
put on by NPR and WNYC and stuff like that. And it was going, it was a debate between very smart people, people I will hands down, I don't know these people, but just from their credentials alone, I can say are smarter, probably way smarter than me. They're older than me, they're more experienced than me, and they're all attorneys. So there you go. They beat me. They beat me. And yet I thought some of them, one in particular, was just a wretched debater. So bad, in fact, that I would say about halfway through, you it didn't matter what he said anymore because he had just lost the audience. And I kind of want to go through it a little bit step by step. So the the here was the the debate. Oh my God! Can I speak? Can I? I'm great at debate. I'm terrible at using words. Here was the debate, the official debate question. Should the government do more in this day and age to limit free speech? Should Twitter do more? Should Facebook do more? Should all of us collectively be doing more to stop dangerous, hateful speech? Or is this precisely the moment when we have to stand up louder and prouder and protect that speech, even if we hate it? Okay, so that was the official question put to the debaters. And... It was interesting. I don't know how they came up with this setup, but they had one guy who debated a certain side all night and they had, they left him up there and then they had two people come up to debate the opposite side in different ways. You'll, it'll make sense once we start listening to the actual debate, but the debater I'm really kind of focus on, his name is Ellie Mistal. And he's the editor-at-large of Breaking Media, and he's the executive editor at uh, Above the Law, Redline. This is a smart, accomplished man. He is. He has those positions. He's written for the New York Times, New York Daily News, City Hall News. He's appeared on Fox, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN. This man, he graduated from Harvard. Then he went to, oh, Harvard again, graduated from Harvard Law. This is a smart, smart man. Maybe one of the worst debaters I've ever heard. Ever. And you'll and we're gonna talk about why. It's pretty obvious, okay? So you heard the debate question. Here was his first argument. This is the first thing he said to the crowd that night, uh, before anything else, before he even said hello. Oh, by the way, excuse me, I should point out. So he is on the side that, yes, there should absolutely be limits to the First Amendment. No, we should not just be free to say anything and everything we want, wherever we want. He thinks, yes, there should be certain restraints on the First Amendment and the freedom of speech. Okay, so here he is making his first argument of the night. Yeah, no, I don't have a problem with the First Amendment. It was a beautiful thing written for white people who wanted to overthrow the government. It's fine. I have a problem with absolutists who want to elevate threats, harassment, and calls for genocide to the level of a sacred right. I do not think that the First Amendment prohibits us from preventing a Nazi from getting a permit to rally any more than I would think that the Second Amendment prevents us from having a sociopath not get a gun permit, okay? Absolutism is absolutely wrong on this issue. Okay, so that was his first argument. And let me, let's just talk about it. So where does he go wrong? Well, first of all... Yeah, no, I don't have a problem with the First Amendment. It was a beautiful thing written for white people who wanted to overthrow the government. It's fine. Immediate alienation. So he's immediately alienated. I guarantee you that was not an all-black audience. And even if it were, 
we're talking about the First Amendment. I mean, it's not like, I don't know. Right off the bat, he's talking about white people in a hostile way. Now, don't get me wrong. Black people have absolutely every reason in the world to hold some hostility towards white people in general. They do. And I, I mean, anyone who denied that would be an, not smart, not smart, and not honest. But this is a debate and you're on in a public forum, not just a public forum, but it's a live stage. It's like a live audience. Public forums can be, range from Twitter to Facebook or whatever. But when this is a live back and forth, you're sitting on stage and to come off that way right off the bat, you've just lost half the audience. But more than that, here's what here's where he really lost me right away. I do not think that the First Amendment prohibits us from preventing a Nazi from getting a permit to rally any more than I would think that the Second Amendment prevents us from having a sociopath not get a gun permit. OK, so here's why I take issue with that. I think it's anyone who's listened to this show, even if tonight was the first time ever. Most people, if you listen to this show, and anyone who knows me at all, knows that I hate guns, personally. I hate guns. I think the lack of any type of regulation is absurd in this country. So when he starts comparing, you know, the Second Amendment to the First Amendment, here's why that doesn't work. Guns are weapons. Really? They were actually invented to kill things. Literally, that's why they exist. They were invented to kill things in a swift and easy manner. And that's what they do. If I have a gun and I point it at you or anyone else, it is a, an immediate and direct danger to their lives. And could, had if I pulled the trigger, could end their life. Words you can't compare words to guns. You just can't. Sure, words can hurt people's feelings. And I think that, you know, it's just a terrible comparison. Terrible comparison. And this is a man who is twice Harvard educated, a lawyer. He should know better than that when making an argument. Now, here is his opponent's initial argument. Well, I don't know what absolutist Ellie is talking about. The last one I know is Hugo Black, and he died in 1971. We have well-established narrow exceptions to the First Amendment, and they are narrow for a reason. We got them narrowed on the backs of the powerless being suppressed by the powerful. All of the types of restrictions that Ellie would like are ones that have historically been used against communists, against labor protesters, against war protesters, against minorities, and everyone else. The Nazis aren't the ones in danger from the types of restrictions that Ellie is suggesting he'd like. Now, so that was his opponent's initial argument. So they, that was just kind of them stating their positions. I will point out that, you know, you didn't hear it in the cut I just played, but Ellie jumps on that guy immediately. Another bad move. But anyway, here is Ellie Mistal's first real kind of full-fleshed-out argument. All right, Ellie, start, start us off. Explain why you think that hateful speech, fake news, shouldn't be protected by the First Amendment. 
Ken just admitted, just agreed that we already regulate speech at some level. So really all we're debating about tonight, the only thing that's even up for debate is where we want to draw that line. Ken would draw that line so it protects Nazis. I would draw that line so it protects us from the Nazis. Let's start with a pretty simple example. Fire. Just kidding. There's no actual fire. I'm sure you've all heard that the thing that you can't say is that you can't shout fire in the crowded theater. But actually, under our current laws, I probably can because our current standard is that what is unprotected are things that lead to direct incitement of imminent lawless action. That's a very high bar. So I can probably say fire. What I probably can't say is fire, kill who you must to survive. (laughs) That would probably get me in trouble. But the fire analogy comes from an older standard, older than the one that I just quoted. It comes from Oliver Wendell Holmes, who some of you might have heard of. And his standard, when he used the you can't falsely shout fire in a crowded theater analogy, his standard was false and dangerous. Speech that is false and dangerous is not protected by the Constitution. I think that's where the line is. I think that's an eminently reasonable line. I think that we had 150 years of a free republic with that line. So I want the line where dangerous lies are not protected by the Constitution. All right. A lot of what he said was totally true and really pretty good points. But a lot of his good points were lost on his mere tone of voice. First of all, why are you yelling? This is, the, this is literally his first full explanation of his position. He's really like his opponent hasn't even given him anything to directly contradict. And he's already ready, all riled up and yelling. And come on, he just goes so wrong at various points in that argument. Ken would draw that line so it protects Nazis. I would draw that line so it protects us from the Nazis. That is absurd. And that is a stupid, that just makes me angry. Painting your opponent, who, by the way, hasn't even had a chance to really make an argument yet, as someone who is, he wants to protect Nazis. He's pretty much a Nazi himself. That is absurd. And that is so, such a kind of dumbass middle school tactic. It's like, again, it's so crazy to me because It'd be one thing if his opponent had made very good points and because Mr. Ellie Mistal couldn't really counter them with anything factual, he just started painting him as a Nazi. But he's painting him as he's painting him as a Nazi right from the get go. Or excuse me, someone who is looking to protect Nazis. That is just absurd. And people see that for what it is. You're going to lose the audience. And he did. And then he also, by the way, and this is important, this, in prepping for this show, I actually went and looked at his Twitter feed. This, he's a funny guy. He's very, obviously very smart. He's very in tune to stuff that's going on. And he makes funny, he has, his tweets are funny. His two attempts at humor in, in this first argument, first is when he says, he's talking about an example and he says, fire, you can't yell fire. Nobody laughed because it, it wasn't funny. And then he starts talking about, um, what was his other attempt at humor? I don't remember. 
right now, but I know it wasn't funny. He's trying to, you, humor is a great tool. It is a great tool to use in debate, but it has to work. It has to be funny. You can't try to be funny and not be funny. And frankly, he was never going to be funny because of the tone he set right from the beginning. <laughs> Shut up! Sorry. Moving on, here was his opponent's first full-fledged argument. I don't want the government deciding what's a lie and what's true. May I remind you we are currently led by a president who thinks that global warming is a Chinese hoax to corner the tungsten market. And that's why I don't want the government deciding what to suppress based on its decision about what is true or not. Now, Ellie refers to the fire in the crowded theater. Justice Holmes' famous quote, Let's remember what he was talking about. He was using that quote, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater, to justify jailing a man who was protesting World War II by handing out flyers suggesting that people resist the draft. That was the clear danger that the government saw. Now, if you don't think that it's plausible that the government would be suppressing the same type of speech now if you gave it the power, if you handed it to them out of fear of Nazis, then just look at what happened after the protests this last year. The alt-right and neo-Nazis rose. There were massive protests in response. And our largely Republican-dominated state legislatures leaped into action. And in 17 places, they proposed heavily punitive anti-protest bills, including four charming examples, making it easier for you to get off if you run over a protester in your car. That's what the government does with the power to suppress speech when you let the government decide what's true. I think you just proved that our current First Amendment standard doesn't do bull to actually protect protesters. All it does is protect Nazis. You want to talk about the Oliver Wendell Holmes case, let's talk about where our current standard comes from. It's relatively recent, 1969, Brandenburg v. Ohio. Now, what was that case? I said 1969. You probably thought, oh, it was probably like civil rights, and yeah, and they were making it. No, it was for Klansmen. Okay, so first of all, it... That was supposed to be his opponent's full argument. But if you notice, Mr. Mistal jumped on him and just started talking, just started running with it. Fine, but not a good look. And also, not a good look. Now, what was that case? I said 1969. You probably thought, oh, it was probably like civil rights and yeah, and they were making it. No, it was for Klansmen. Talking down to your opponent and talking down to the audience. People resent that. You're belittling them. They're not going to listen to you if they feel like you are belittling them, which is exactly what he's doing. Brandenburg was a Klansman. He was all making Klan statements. Somebody arrested his ass for being a Klansman. He got convicted for inciting violence. And the court said, nah. He's just a Klansman. We really need a new standard that protects the right of Klansmen to threaten black people in 1969. Okay. An important point. And this is where he really, I was really surprised of how off the rails he went. This is where whenever I have had a debate of sorts about gun control, what usually ends up happening is people use hyperbole and they just start throwing out anecdotal evidence, perhaps using anecdotes that they made up. But language and hard, cold facts are 
vital in debates, you will lose without them. And this is a Harvard-educated man, lawyer, writer, and he's saying stuff in a public debate like this. Somebody arrested his ass for being a Klansman. He got convicted for inciting violence, and the court said, nah, he's just a Klansman. That is vague, that is emotional, and that it is almost impossible. I mean, like, come on. He, he was arrested for being, he, someone arrested his ass for being a Klansman. He was, he was convicted of inciting, okay, well, that was his crime. So he was arrested for inciting violence. And then, for one reason or another, and I have not looked into this, but, and it could have been a racist court, who knows? But the point is, and if it was, he should have said so. That's my point. He was probably arrested for inciting violence. And then the court officially must have found that he did not incite violence, and so it was overturned. Now, whether or not that was an accurate, uh, whether or not it was just and accurate that he really didn't incite violence, again, like I said, maybe the judge was a racist or maybe whatever. Who knows? We need to look into that. But he should have informed us of that. That's my point. He needs to tell us that. He can't just be saying he was arrested for being a Klansman and then they let him go because they don't care about people who are Klansmen. No, that's way too little information and it doesn't bode well for you moving forward. I mean, are you going to have, you have to be specific. You have to have facts. Facts matter, Martha. Facts matter. Okay, so he said that story and here's what his opponent had to say in response. But you see, Ellie, you know that that's not the right case. The right case is 12 years earlier, Yates versus United States. People convicted for becoming members of the Communist Party under the theory that some ideas can be punished as clear and present danger, even when there is no imminent advocacy of wrongdoing. Yates built the wall that eventually Brandenburg completed. Brandenburg's the outlier. Yates is the one that shows how the power is consistently used by the government. Can you explain to me a standard that allows me to stop Klansmen? Because that's what I want. Like, if yes. you can explain to me how I can make Klansmen not stand in the field, then I think we're going to agree more than we disagree. Again, jumping on his opponent, not really even letting him finish, not good. It makes you look, I mean, you need to be cool, calm, and collected because that gives the impression that you have really studied this stuff and you really know what you're talking about. He sounds purely emotional. And it is important, you know, if I'm going to debate about gun control, oh, I'm very passionate about it, and you will be able to see that. That will come across. But I'm not just going to be pure emotion and passion without any hardcore evidence and facts. Because what good is that emotion and passion without any facts? Worthless. Worthless. Then you're just putting on a show, and not a good show. So... Yes. Now, here's where the moderator comes in and makes a very good point and asks him a very fair question. How would you, how, what would the standard be? I can give you an example. The president is a Kenyan. That's false, but that's not particularly dangerous. And so we can let that kind of slide, right? Um, Hillary Clinton is running a pedophile ring out of a pizza shop. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. That is both false and demonstrably dangerous. Is it? I mean, first of all, those are, that's a, those are extreme examples. But also, it's funny because you hear him right off the bat. He says, President Obama was born in Kenya. You know, that's false, demonstrably false, but not necessarily dangerous. So we can maybe kind of let that slide. 
maybe kinda. Yeah, who knows? If we're not gonna, how do you decide what lies you can let slide and which lies you can't? I mean, that is a slippery slope. And who's gonna make that decision? The moderator points that out and asks him an even better question and gives him an even better example. The idea of falseness and danger can get pretty squishy. I mean, it sure like, can. can I call up an example if you if you guys don't mind? So uh, the Daily Stormer, which is a, a, a very popular neo-Nazi site, there was a situation where they basically took a, a, a Jewish woman, uh, a real estate agent. Uh, that's that's the image right there. You can see it on the, on the screens. And they superimposed it on an image of Auschwitz. They published her name. They published her kids. Uh, they said hateful things like, we will drive you to suicide. They called for a sort of troll off on her. Does that qualify for you? And does it qualify for you, Ken? I mean, would you limit that kind of speech? I think a lot of the comments sent to her were true threats. That is, a reasonable person would see them as statements of actual intent to do her harm. I think that some of the speech about her meets the incitement standard, that it's intended to and likely cause imminent lawless action against her. Okay, so by the way, I just realized, we're listening to that, I didn't actually mention that the man debating against Mr. Emotional, Mr. Mistal, is Ken White. He's a First Amendment litigator and criminal defense attorney in Los Angeles. So that's whose voice you just heard. Now, he may just made a very important point in response to the moderator. And it's one that I feel very strongly about, and it's really important that people know. I do not, I don't, I'll just put it out there. I do not agree with Ellie Mistal. I think that trying to limit freedom of speech is impossible and just a terrible idea. However, as Ken White just pointed out, actual threats and harassment, those are illegal and they should be. You should not be able to harass people and you should not, you cannot put threats on their lives. And the things that the moderator just described were done in that um, neo-Nazi website. Those are threats. Those are actual harassment and those are illegal and they should be. And anyone who engages in that type of rhetoric should have to face the consequences. But, and here's where he goes with the but, 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 but ideas, however hateful, can't be true or false. Uh, and it's not for the government to regulate whether ideas or opinions are true or false, no, no matter ideas how despicable be, no, they are. No. Nope. Ellie can't even contain himself. He's got to just burst. I'm so freaking excited. No, 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 no. That is how we got here. Ideas can be true or false. Climate change, real, true idea. Climate change, not real. False idea. We can make these distinctions, and I don't think that we need to. Your standard requires, and I and I have unfortunately, because I am black on the internet, I have unfortunately had to deal with some true threats, some not true threats, some s trying to wrestle with this issue when I go to the cops to try to ask for protection, trying to wrestle with this issue of what's actually protected speech and what's actually not protected speech. And my problem with the current standard is that it basically waits until they start shooting at me before they stop them. I want to stop them before they start shooting. I want to stop them before they start driving their cars into crowded protesters because by then it's too late. How would you do that? See, believe it or not, and this is, I mean, this is kind of funny. I, I've never really, you know, I've never run for office. I've never held any position of real power in, you know, government or whatever. But just from doing this little dog and pony show, I've actually received death threats. And 
from for my opinion on guns and my opinion on gun regulations that don't exist. People have actually threatened me. Now, maybe probably not to the extent that they've threatened him. I don't know. But here's the thing. You do have to kind of judge what you think is an actual true threat that it puts you in danger and what doesn't. And if you feel like you're actually being threatened and are in danger and these are credible threats, report them to the police. Report them to the police and they should protect you. Now he's saying, he seems to have said that like he's tried to reach out to the police and they haven't been able to tell which ones are legitimate, which ones aren't. And so he felt unprotected. Well, okay, then I guess that's poor police work. I don't know. But to then go and change the First Amendment, I mean, we think we're jumping the gun a little bit here, don't you think? Yes. And then his opponent points out something very important, something that he can't really contradict because it's undeniable. Here's the problem. With the history of America being what it is, with the power having been used in the past being what it is, what possesses you to think that if you give this broader power to attack speech to the government, it's going to be used the way you want it to be? That is the key point. Mr. Mistal throughout this whole time has been talking about Nazis, and that's it, really. He's been talking about Nazis, 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 people who threaten him, people who drive cars into protesters. Okay, sure, I would love if we could get Nazis to not be Nazi, not say they're Nazi stuff. That'd be great. However, do we really think that that's going to end there? If we put limits on what people are free to say, that means there are limits on what everyone is free to say. It's not always going to be the people who are saying things you don't like. It could be you. It could be me. And who, where do we draw that line? It's a slippery slope that you don't want to go down. And listen, I couldn't have less respect for anyone who in 2018 is a Nazi or a Klansman. I mean, please, I don't think they should be taken seriously. I don't think they should be in any important space or making any important decisions. So that's just the truth. That's how I feel. But to say that they aren't allowed to voice their stupid views, what? I mean, what are you talking about? I don't, I mean, the more I talk about this, the more I think about this, it's like, how would you, how would you put the cap on this? You couldn't. And if you open that floodgates, they are going to open and they are going to pour open and there will be no stopping it. Then they go on, so that was the debate, the first part of the debate. Then they go on and they ask a new question and they bring on a new person to debate Mr. Mistal. Here's the question. Instead of asking, what should the government do about free speech, should it limit it or not, we're going to ask, what should Twitter do? What should Facebook do? You know, with all the fake news that's happening, all the hate speech that's coalescing online, should they limit free speech more than they are? Okay, so so now this is an interesting question. The first part was about should the government limit what we can or can't say? Now they're talking about should Facebook and Twitter monitor and police what you can or can't say on their websites? And these are very different questions, as we know, because Twitter and Facebook, those are private companies. You know, 
we can't, I can't walk into a restaurant and start throwing spaghetti all over the walls. They'll kick me out immediately. You little bitch. Well, Twitter, you can't, I mean, technically, you can't go on Twitter and break a bunch of their rules and expect to not have to face the consequences. So it is a different question and it's a different argument to make. His new opponent is a woman. Her name is Corinne McSherry. She's the legal director at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And naturally, she feels like, no, you can't put limits on what people can say anywhere, including Facebook and Twitter. Mr. Mistal vehemently disagrees. Here is Ms. McSherry making her initial stance, taking her initial stance. What, what do you think about the prospect of a Twitter or a Facebook stepping in to take down lies and take down hate speech? So I, I think it's a very dangerous path that unfortunately we're already well along. I think in moments of crisis, and I think we're in a moment of crisis right now, we look to simple solutions for very complex problems and we are often sorry. And I think that is where we are right now. The internet grew up the way it did for mostly good, I would argue, because the platforms and the intermediaries mostly stayed neutral. If we have a world in which Facebook, Twitter, Google, Instagram put themselves in the position of a court and decide what speech should be up, what speech shouldn't, we're going to walk down a dangerous path because those decisions, those tactics will inevitably be used against speech that we would support. For one thing, they will be inevitably used eventually by governments. Private censorship does not stay private. It becomes public censorship almost inevitably. And the third reason is really practical. They're already doing it and they're doing it badly. All kinds of lawful speech is being taken down every day. Google and Facebook can't save us from the Nazis. We have to do it. Okay, that was her initial stance. Here's how our friend Mr. Mistal responded. Hold on to your butts. Yeah, the First Amendment does not apply to Twitter or Facebook. Anybody who tells you that they have a constitutional right to say what they want on Twitter is an idiot. The Twitter trolls want, they don't just want free speech. They want consequence-free speech. They want to be able to say they're vile trash and still keep their jobs and still keep their homes and still get the girl. Screw these people, all right? We should have Twitter at least at the level of a Jets game. Yeah. A lot of what I'm going to say is wrong with his response are things that I've said were wrong with his earlier responses. Yeah. Anybody who tells you that they have a constitutional right to say what they want on Twitter is an idiot. Screw these people. All right. Mm hmm. Idiots. Screw these people. Yeah. Condescending. You've already lost. You've lost the audience and you're smug and, you know. I'll smack you in the mouth. Yeah, I'm not, you know, okay, you're not a politician in a debate. You don't necessarily have to be super likable, but you can't be, you can't just make people skin crawl. And frankly, that response made my skin crawl. Okay. And also, well, here's his, his initial argument. And uh, funnily enough, he brings up a subject that we've, uh, well, we've talked about already because he's brought it up a few times. 
the reality is that we can all target people that we hate right now. But if we think that the rules that Twitter and Facebook and all those guys are going to come up with aren't going to be used against speech that we support, we are foolish. It's already happening. Community standards complaints are used against valuable speech all the time. I know because I hear about it every day in my job. Then the related problem to that is when you get your lawful speech taken down, you don't have any options. You don't know how to get your stuff put back up. So we have courts, but we don't have a right of appeal. We don't have any challenge. These platforms have the right to host any speech they want. They actually have the First Amendment right to host any speech they want. But I think as users, we want them to use that right wisely. That's not happening right now. No, as a user, I want them to stop Nazis. Again with the Nazis. I mean, yeah, okay. He, he's, he's really fixated on the Nazis. I but want they, them to find a Nazi and stop them from, expre- from expressing their hateful views on Twitter. They can't. They can't. Yes. That's foolish. No. The notion Are you a Nazi? Could, yes. Goodbye. Here's why. Done. Mm, ridiculous. I'm sorry, but how many people who you know are racists would openly say, yeah, I'm a racist. Zero. The answer is zero. How many people do you know who are Nazis? And I don't know any, to be honest, but most people. Oh, Richard Spencer. He's the. Uh, to be white is to be a striver, a crusader, an explorer and a conqueror. Hail Trump. Hail our people. Hail victory. Yikes. He is a Nazi. Guess what? I've seen him in interviews. He would never say he was a Nazi. People aren't going to listen to what he says. He says, ask people, are you a Nazi? Yes. Done. That will never happen. Never. No one's going to answer that question. Yes, I'm a Nazi. And again, this is a Harvard educated lawyer. This is a very smart man. You should know that. You should know that. And come on. You know what? No, they can't because they're trying and they're failing over and over. They cannot tell the difference between hate speech and reporting on hate speech. And so accounts get taken down and suspended when they're doing perfectly lawful things. Now, we're going to talk about this a little more later. But what she's talking about is very important because it's true. A lot of times when Twitter, because Twitter and Facebook, they do to some degree try and, you know, monitor their stuff and watch for hateful and threatening and real vile stuff. They do. But most of that is done not through actual humans, but through algorithms and tech stuff like that that is very imperfect. And it leads to all kinds of problems like people who are not being hateful, not being threatening, getting their accounts blocked or something like that totally unjustifiably. And it's a big deal when that happens because it's almost impossible to get it unblocked. And like it or not, Twitter and Facebook and all that crap that's how everything's done today. It sucks, but it's true. And um, I don't know. That just seems lost on Mr. Mistal. One of the reasons why this is so important that we, we demand better from Facebook, from Twitter, from Reddit, is that the reason why we're seeing so many more Nazis now is because these platforms have allowed them to organize. There was a reason why the Klan was on the decline 
20 years ago because you because wearing a hood and going out to meet your friends in the middle of a field wasn't really how the modern society was going. But then Twitter and Facebook and these sites and Reddit came along and now they have a way to talk and talk to each other and realize that, no, I actually hate black people too. Oh, so do I. Yeah, let's hang out. No, screw these people. There's no, there's no constitutional reason why Twitter should allow them to exist or Facebook or whatever. There's no business reason why Twitter or Facebook or whatever should allow these people to exist. Get them the F out. Okay. First of all, again, smart man, he should know better than to say certain stupid things. So he's talking about Twitter police. And so he knows that a lot of it is done through algorithms and stuff like that. It's not actual human beings sitting there going through everyone's Twitter page. Saying, so we just need them to be better. They need to be better. Like it's that easy is stupid. I don't work in tech. I'm not, I don't write code. I don't do any of that stuff, but I know that it's probably pretty complicated. And if it was so easy to just be better then they would be number one. Number two, he's saying, I mean, listen to how he ends this last argument. Screw these people. There's no, there's no constitutional reason why Twitter should allow them to exist or Facebook or whatever. There's no business reason why Twitter or Facebook or whatever should allow these people to exist. Get them the F out. Twitter and Facebook can't stop these people from existing. <laughs> Twitter and Facebook shouldn't allow these people to exist. Trust me, and I can't believe I'm actually having to say this, but the Klan predates Twitter and Facebook. I mean, racists predate these platforms. They exist and they're going to exist with or without Facebook. So I don't even know what this argument is about. Have we entered the twilight zone? Go ahead, Miss McSherry. My view is if white supremacists and Klansmen and Nazis are organizing, I way prefer they were doing it out in public where I can see them and I can challenge them and I can respond to them. And law enforcement will say the exact same thing. People who fight terrorism say it's much better for the for the you know the people to speaking publicly for the radicals to be radicalizing where you can see them. They're gonna organize anyway. Okay, so would you rather do it? They do it in secret or in the open? Now, she's made a very good point. She's made a very logical point, and she's asked a very good question. He gives the question no thought, and he answers it totally emotionally and irrationally, in my opinion. I would rather them do it in secret. I would actually rather them go and find and make their own Nazi website, right? Make their own Nazi thing, right? So that when... I, whenever I get Ken to agree with me, whenever the government is ready to stop these people, they will have all pre-registered. They would have all said, hey, look at us. Yeah, We're here on NaziMeet.com. Boom, and we can go get them. Again, they are not going to do that. Hello? When have people in the Klan ever really promoted the fact that they're in the Klan? Never. Not even in the Klans at their height. It just doesn't happen. No one is going to go on a website, make a website that says, hey, we're in the clan.com. Not going to happen. So if they're doing it on Twitter, she makes a great point. If they're doing it on Twitter and they'll do it indirectly like Richard Spencer. But we all know who Richard Spencer is and we know he's a racist and a white supremacist. So we can see what he's doing on Twitter and we can act accordingly. They're not going to make a website called 
we are racists, we are the clan.com. It's not going to happen. And if you're really coming from that angle and think that's what would happen, then, you know, you're an idiot. This debate is lost. And really, I don't know. Can we even have a debate? No. But let's go back to the Nazis, I guess. And so great. So we can continue the silo conversations that we're having right now, which is a big part of where yes, why we I would ended like up to in be siloed from Nazis. Yes. I think that's okay. Siloed. That means just in your bubble and kind of push out any speech you don't like. And he, his immediate knee jerk response is, yes, I'd like to be siloed from Nazis. So he's doing to her what he did to his first opponent, Ken White. You're either with me or her, me or the Nazis, painting her as some Nazi sympathizer, which is inappropriate and dumb. And it makes you look dumb, emotional, and just totally, this debate is totally lost already. But she keeps her, she keeps a cool head and she makes more good points. That, that sounds very nice and it's a good talking point. But in reality, I think that's very, very dangerous for our society. We need people to be talking to each other. When they only talk to people who agree with them, they never change their minds. Now, to your point. That sorry, has proven time and time again to me not true. And again, I, hate, I, 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 I feel like that is such a, a happy, clappy, white version of this story. Oh, if we just talk to these people, we can convince them that maybe black people shouldn't be sent off to prison camps. Once or twice. And the rest why, of the time, they're running cars into people. Do you know it why doesn't we, happen nearly not long enough. Do you know why we have gay marriage equality now? Okay, wait. Hey! Everybody calm the fuck down. I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, he's just repugnant. He's making my skin crawl the way he's talking to people. He's yelling at an audience member, for God's sake. He's talking down to his opponent. He's painting her as a Nazi sympathizer. I mean, just listen to some of the stuff he just said. When they only talk to people who agree with them, they never change their minds. That has proven time and time again to be not true. Now, wait. That has proven time and time again to be not true. That Here's another example of, in a debate, if you're going to say something like what he just said, you can't just leave it there. That has been proven time and time again to be untrue. Really? When? By who? How? You can't just leave it out there because it means nothing without hardcore evidence and facts. And then he goes on to say this, which truly just makes me want. I mean, it's. Ugh. Again, I hate I, 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 I feel like that is such a, a happy, clappy white version of this story. OK, a happy, clappy white version. So we're all racists. Anyone who's white is a racist, I guess, right now. And we can't understand freedom of speech. I mean, come on. Come on. It's hard to even go on. It's like, what's the point of debating with this person? Happy, clappy, white. Anyway, the woman goes on to talk about how they go about monitoring right now in the current situation. Yeah. Okay. So the way that it works now and the way that it's likely to continue to work is that so the social media companies employ a combination of human. Okay, we've already talked about that. We got to skip ahead. So he goes on to make more. I love analogies. I think I really do. And my friends know that. And I make sometimes ones that are a little outlandish. But I hate so much when people say, like, if I make an analogy and someone says, well, that has nothing to do with this. That is the so stupid because the point of analogies is to put things in perspective and to take things in different situations. So of course they're not going to be the same, but it's to put it in perspective. I love using analogies. Here's an example of horrible analogies that don't make any goddamn sense. I will stipulate that there are many examples of, of them getting it wrong. They get it wrong. They're not great at this job yet. 
But we live in a real world where the actual, now I'm talking about Twitter cops, but we live in a world where the actual cops get it wrong every freaking day. And in my most radical statements, I'm not saying let's get rid of the cops because they don't know what they're doing. No, I'm saying let's get better cops. And for Twitter, I'm saying let's get better Twitter cops so they don't get it wrong so, so many times. But you want to talk about letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Just because Twitter and Facebook have not gotten to the level yet where they're able to effectively police these people doesn't mean they should just stop trying. Again, because it's so easy, right? It's just so easy. Hmm. What we have, where we are right now, is thousands of accounts are being suspended every day. Let's just say a relatively small percentage of those are for perfectly lawful speech. That's a lot of lawful speech. That's a lot that we have authorized Twitter and Facebook and everyone else to take down and encourage them to. And keep in mind, once we start down this path, if you think that this is going to stay within the decision makers at Silicon Valley, you are dreaming. Governments are going to come in when they see that Google, Facebook, Twitter can easily take down accounts. They're going to say, "Okay, could you do that for us? This doesn't stop. Okay, so he She's right, and I'm going to give you an example in a minute. But he, it's just all these all these arguments are lost on him, so he just decides to yell. Yelling helps. Somebody needs to stop these people, and I refuse to believe that we live in a country where that is impossible. Here's, here's, here's the other thing. If you really don't think that we yet have the technology and the resources necessary in order to police these sites better, how about we go the other direction? How about we just out people? How about you just if you if you're going to if you Twitter are going to tell me you can't tell who's threatening to kill me. Just tell me who it is. Just tell me who it is and I will handle it myself. Excuse me. I, I honestly like what what are you even talking about now? I mean, really, I'm totally lost. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Damn straight. And then he goes off on a tangent that really just starts to make me think maybe he's losing it a little bit. Yes, because the thing that we used to have as a society to protect ourselves from these people was called shame. We could shame them into being part of the herd. And if they didn't want to be part of the herd, we could know who they are and say, hey, guess what? You're no longer part of the herd. Shame is a powerful weapon that we used to have and Twitter has taken, away, yeah. taken it away from us. That, and that is why these people are allowed to multiply. That weapon was also used to persecute minorities all over the... And, and, Everything was always used to persecute minorities at some point. used to persecute minorities. The fact that I'm something sure has been used, used to persecute minorities doesn't mean that it can't also be used to stop Nazis. That's just a... Clocks were used to persecute minorities when they weren't paid by the hour. The all right? But clocks are still a good thing. You get lost, you dope. Again, I really like analogies. I use them all the time. That was a dumbass thing to say. And also, we're, we're talking about, I mean, shame and people needing to be part of the herd. This guy's starting to sound like Jim Jones, for God's sake. Jonestown, remember? Drinking the Kool-Aid? Shaming people into behaving a certain way. And if they don't act this way, they need to be embarrassed, humiliated, shamed. Like, I get it. I get that he's talking about people who say vile, awful things. But just this notion of being part of the herd, and if you're not part of the herd, you should be shamed. That is dangerous, and that is scary. I mean, like, Jesus, man, take it down a notch. 
I get it. You don't like Nazis and you feel persecuted. Fine. But you want to, where he's going here is so dangerous and scary. It is, is it, it is tyrannical. The talk of the herd and shame and acting a certain way and not being part of the herd, that is, that is really scary language. And language is important in a debate. Now, we're going to wrap this up soon before I play an example of exactly what this woman's talking about. Really lawful, good people not doing anything wrong, paying heavy consequences for bad Twitter monitoring and YouTube monitoring and Facebook monitoring. But before I do that, towards the end of the debate, they took a few questions from the audience. And a young man stood up and I think made an incredibly powerful point, an incredibly powerful statement. And it was exactly what this woman said earlier. We need to be talking to each other. Minds don't change if we are only in our bubble hearing the echo chamber. And he, this kid, is living proof. I just wanted to say that, like, um, someone said something about, is there a moral reason that Twitter or the government (laughs) should uh, lean towards free speech? And I personally am someone who used to have abhorrent views. And I was raised as fundamental Christian as you could get. And my views about gay people, had I spoken them on the internet, probably would have put off some hate speech alarms. And it was not shaming that changed my mind. I encountered people who were engaging, who treated me like a person, even though had back then there been Twitter, I would have been a troll. And it changed my mind. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Westboro Baptist Church. They fought a, a Supreme Court case and won. They have really the worst views of anyone I, any group that considers himself Christian that I can think of. And their person who ran their Twitter is a friend of mine, Megan Phelps Roper. She has this great story about how using Twitter to essentially like spread terrible hate speech, saying things like, thank God for AIDS for killing gay people. But it was through Twitter and through the arguments she got in and then through the relationships that she got in that she found a way out of that bubble she lived in and now is out in the world doing amazing work. If, if what you want, Ellie, happens, that troll that you want to shut up, that Klansman you want to get rid of, he doesn't go away. The, the, the mold grows in the shadow, and it's, it's only in the sunshine. You know, it's only, it's only when you get it out in the open and we have these conversations. And, like, as a former believer in some of this stuff, like, don't lose heart. Like, we can have our minds changed, and, like, we can, we can be convinced of the truth. Now that is powerful. And that is, uh, you know, I think that is a very earnest, honest, personal story that this kid just shared. And I think it's a, it's living proof that Ellie is wrong about just shutting people up. His response to this kid, in my opinion, was absolutely outrageous. Here it is. I respect her story, and I'm very glad that some that you were able to 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 get to where you are. Um, however, turns out that I believed what you want me to believe for a good oh I don't know 28 29 years of my life. I am a 40 year old black man. I am sick 
of being the educational PBS after-school special for racist white people. Gay people are sick of being the ABC after-school special for white people. Women are sick of being the after-school special trying to teach the white man why they also should have rights. It is simply no longer acceptable for you to expect other people just trying to go about posting their dinner recipes on Facebook. It's ridiculous for you to think that we should still have the burden of educating you. You should go get educated somewhere. That can't be on us all the time. When I just want to like get on Facebook and see the Mets score, I shouldn't have to hear your bullshit. Outrageous. You are outrageous. Okay, but seriously, that pisses me off. To have that kind of a, of a response to this audience member who's just telling his story and being honest, that is out. It is outrageous, goddammit. And also, do not talk about gay people. Don't bring women into this. You're on your own, pal. I, as someone who has been threatened by people who love guns and I've been attacked by people who love guns and all this stuff, I just made an announcement on the show tonight that I have always and am always looking to have discussions and debates with people. I never try and shy away from that because what good does that do? We will, the re, I think the problem with gun control is the fact that people are uneducated. Some by choice, some because they're too scared to talk about it, but that's the problem. So shutting people up and not having a conversation, that is the last thing I would want to do and so, no, not everyone feels fed up and they don't want to be the educational, whatever the hell, condescending thing you had to say. It's just, and gay people, like, no, I actually think most gay people really appreciate talking about it and appreciate the fact how far we have come by talking about stuff. Why do we have gay marriage equality? Because people all started to realize that they have a friend or a relative who's gay. They know people who are gay. They have personal relationships. They talk to them. They learn from them and they change. That is important. That is beautiful. And here's this guy, a lawyer from Harvard, shitting on that. I mean, sorry, but you've lost the debate. You have lost the debate. He is, a, I mean, again, as I said in the beginning, smart man, funny guy, the worst debater I've probably ever heard. His points, any good points he made have been lost because he's so emotional and in kind of a personal attacks, people painting people as Nazis and Nazi sympathizers. Totally good arguments, good solid arguments and evidence just going right over his head. This is not how you debate. This is exactly how you don't debate. If you want to hear the full debate, you can find it on More Perfect. Look it up. Um, the episode is titled, I believe, Twitter and the Law, although I've seen it also titled The Hate Debate. But to close us out, I want to play an explanation of real-life examples of what the woman was talking about where good people following the rules get punished because they're confused for people using hateful speech. It's real, and it has real consequences, and it's going to play us out tonight. So I'm going to say goodnight for Radio Free Brooklyn. Remember, I'm sorry, I forgot to say, as I always say, apathy is the enemy. More than anything else, apathy is the enemy. Stay up to date, watch the news, read the paper, have an opinion, care, take some action, maybe make a change. For Radio Free Brooklyn, this has been The Next Best Thing. Until next week, I'm Jonathan B. Lerner. Good night, folks. 
Search YouTube for videos about immigration and eventually you'll find this. Mass immigration is not the rainbows and unicorns that our politicians portrayed as. It is in fact a tragedy. Search for videos about Islam and you'll find stuff like this. By its very nature, Islam is an intolerant, radical, extremist belief system. Search for feminism and yeah. News flash, everybody hates feminism. These videos are all products of what New York Times Magazine calls the YouTube right. A growing collection of right-wing vloggers, media operations, conspiracy theorists, and activists who built sizable followings on YouTube. They warn about mass immigration, decry political correctness, and mock out of control social justice warriors. Why am I on camera for this? They also represent a fascinating challenge for YouTube. A company that wants to make money off of ads on cat videos, the prophecy is true. And now finds itself at the center of a huge debate about censorship and hate speech on the internet. Absolutely vital that we red pill the next generation. One of the YouTube rights' biggest success stories so far is Lauren Southern. She's an activist who went solo after making a name for herself on a conservative site called The Rebel. And her YouTube videos regularly get hundreds of thousands of views. I got involved in YouTube kind of during the gamergate anti-feminism phase of the internet. Since then, I've just been commenting on all the world's craziness. Southern's videos reflect a lot of the core ideas of the YouTube right. She criticizes political correctness, warns about the threat of refugees and immigration, and even made a whole video criticizing gay pride parades. If you ever want to spur some homophobia in reasonable people, just take them to a pride parade. So obviously I wore my gayest possible outfit for the interview. So Lauren, why YouTube? For left-wing content, you can get that in real life. You can get that in person. Your professors, your teachers, your newspapers. Left-wingers don't need to go to the dark places of the internet to find their opinions, whereas right-wingers do. YouTube has kind of become this outlet and this way to communicate with people you agree with. In Southern's view, YouTube is a great equalizer, a place where people can go to express far-right views without having to worry about being politically correct. It is time to talk about some inconvenient truths. And she's right. The beauty of YouTube is that there is basically no barrier to entry. All it takes today is having a regular cell phone and you can just film with that. Anyone can pick up that camera and make a video. Yeah, I guess anyone could do that, huh? Yep, any idiot. Yeah. That low barrier to entry means that YouTubers are free to say things that would be too taboo for even Fox News or talk radio. Talk radio is supposed to be super edgy, it was supposed to be the craziest opinions on earth, but now it's YouTube. You'll have people that are willing to touch topics that other people aren't. People that aren't worried about being kicked off the network, they'll just blurt it out and it's there on the internet. That might sound like an exciting free speech paradise for Southern, but it's created kind of a nightmare for YouTube because it turns out YouTube is a really good breeding ground for things like extremism. No offense, but f the Pope. Hate speech. They have less crime than other towns. Yeah, because there's less blacks. And conspiracy theories. Well, the left's been saying they're gonna start killing all the conservatives. For one, it's a click-based market. So creators are incentivized to be as sensational and inflammatory as possible to get the attention of viewers. With normal vloggers, it's clickbaity thumbnails and headlines like, my Uber driver is in love with me? With right-wing YouTubers, it's videos like the left and Islam unholy alliance, or Hillary tied to bizarre occult spirit cooking ritual. Here, I'll click that. Independent vloggers also